Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here with a short this week. We're on the bye week recording it. And we're going to do a SWOT analysis of the Baltimore Ravens in 2023. Here to do that with me is Brad McGowan. Brad, how are you doing? Ken, I'm doing great. It's been an interesting year so far, but a uh, lot of optimism in these parts. Ravens are sitting top of the AFC, so that's good news here. Always a pleasure uh, to, to have you on, Brad. I think one of the things that uh, it, probably people have heard of from business, but, but there, there are other people who aren't in the business world yet who, who uh, uh, haven't run into this term yet. But SWAT is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so in each of these cases, we've got something uh, uh, for the Ravens. And uh, Brad and I each pick something different. So we'll have a little bit to talk about here in this episode. But Brad, why don't you start us off with the the Ravens' biggest strength of 2023 so far? Yeah, I think when uh, I think of what has really gone right for the Ravens and what's borne out as a tremendous strength for them is just how investments in – non-premium positions on the defense are really leading to one of the great Ravens defenses we've seen, uh, especially recently. And, um, you know, defensively, there's been a lot of things that have exceeded my expectations as far as the pass rush, as far as coverage goes, um, and individual performances. But, you know, what I, when I think about what is really making this defense go, I'm thinking about having Roquan in the middle and all the versatility that Kyle Hamilton brings on the back end, not to mention the, the, the tremendous safety play they've gotten from stone and, and when Williams looks right, but really Hamilton and Roquan as being the floor raisers that allow the defense to thrive. Uh, and these other players who, you know, might not be considered blue chip players across the league, but are really um, performing well above what I anticipated. And I think that's a testament to, um, you know, the floor raisers they have in Roquan um, and Hamilton. And it's also a testament to the preparation and the scheme that Mike McDonald is putting on the field week in and week out. Yeah, I think that's both great points. And mine is is similar to yours. So I'm going to just go jump right into it. And then I'll, I'll talk, respond on Hamilton in particular. But the integration of this defense is remarkable. I mean, first of all, they make a very clear choice to basically dare the other, dare the opponent to run with starting in a lot of two deep shells. They rotate out of that. They do other things. But basically, when you show the other team a two deep shell, you're daring them to run and you're telling them you're not going to be able to pass on us deep. So uh, other teams have, have tried to run the ball and they've had some success, but it's four and a half yards per carry, which is not up to the Ravens normal standard. They went 20 consecutive years at the start of the franchise's history without ever allowing four yards per carry. So allowing four and a half is unusually high to say the least, but this defense is very well integrated in terms of it's making a specific choice to give up more against the run, but really clamp down on the pass. 
One of the things we've heard, and to, to that end, they're at 4.18 yards per pass play allowed. That is the best in the National Football League in the last 40 years since the strike shortened 1982 season. Uh, there has not been as good a mark. And in fact, the best ever was the 2008 Steelers um, at 4.30, the best in that entire period. So they're considerably ahead of any team. The best Ravens team ever was 1999 at 4.62. Even the, the, the 2000 team was at, I think, 5.1 or 5.3. I forget which, uh, but it was over five yards per uh, uh, per pass. So they've made a conscious choice and they've done extremely well with it. I did want to talk about Hamilton a little bit because I think he's really the key to this. Roquan also a key, by the way, but Hamilton has matured very quickly into being the best horizontal defender in the National Football League. There is nobody who works along the line of scrimmage any better than him. So you mentioned just briefly his, his play on the back end. I mean, he he's done some things on the back end. He's a good downhill player coming into, into the first level. But what he's done on the front end and at nickel um, is so much more valuable to this team. And I, we could talk about a lot of specifics here, but his horizontal play, I haven't seen anybody like him. A guy can get off blocks, a guy can rush the passer, I can, a guy can stretch the field so that runners you know, have a very difficult time running laterally to the line of scrimmage. And of course, what he's done against all these teams that, that the Ravens told him, you're not throwing deep on us, so go ahead and try your shallow, shallow passes. He's the guy who is the most important in terms of stopping wide receiver screens, stopping a lot of times running back screens and making sure those get shut down for little or no gain. He he really, he really is incredible. And I've heard you say on some of the, the the more recent uh, pods that you've done, just, um, just how adept he is horizontally uh, in this area and stopping the run. Curiously, his PFF run defense grade is, 77th out of 83 qualifying safeties, which I don't understand at all. I, I, I just, I anecdotally, I, I cannot remember a defender that is as good as at not getting blocked um, by pulling guards um, on run plays while he, and just like, you know, even the play that he made in the Chargers game against Eckler, where I can't remember if it was a, a wide zone or a little screen pass where he engaged um he engaged the receiver before the receiver was ready, slipped him in and tackled tackled him in the backfield. And and it was just incredible the way that he is able to get off blocks and get downhill so quickly. And the recognition, the play recognition he has, you know, I'm just becoming more and more grateful leading into the 22 draft, he was, you know, in the early draft lead up, he was considered one of the top two or three prospects in the draft. And then mm-hmm. when he tested poorly in the 40 yard dash at the combine, all of a sudden they were second, you know, pundits were second guessing his viability at the top of the draft. And he wound up slipping to Baltimore at 14 and a non-premium position. But I've heard you a lot of times on the show, bemoan the Ravens, um, failing to draft Derwin James, um, and and what a difference! I, really, I can't imagine like, when you'd have heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but what a difference a player like that—that that is the queen on the chessboard type piece that can be deployed so many different ways—gives um, uh, defensive flexibility that McDonald is really taking advantage of. And you know, we've talked many times on this podcast. Roquan comes in last year in the Saints game. Hamilton moves into the slot. All of a sudden, the defense goes to another level, and that level has continued this year. And it's it's been pretty remarkable to see 
game in, game out, the consistency that they have in stopping all of these different offenses. I, I'm looking at what might be the issue with Hamilton in terms of of his run defense grade showing up. Uh, PFF has a big overweight to miss tackles, and miss tackles can be can be not so bad all the way to really terrible. Miss tackles generally on the back end when they're in the secondary can be really bad. Miss tackles in the backfield where you you retrack a running back not that bad, not not that bad at all. Uh, oftentimes right. good, in fact. So I th- my guess is that Hamilton has slipped into the backfield off the edge as he has wont to do a number of times and missed some tackles there. That's kind of my visual memory of it. And that probably is what's hurting his score with PFF a lot. But I, I, I do notice it there that he's got a, a very low run defense grade relative to uh, many of the safeties. Yeah. Yeah. And conversely, uh, his coverage grade is fifth out of 88 qualified safeties. You know, Stone is second out of mm-hmm. qualified safeties. And, you know, to my point about the non premium positions really paying dividends. Roquan's coverage grade is third out of all qualifying linebackers. And the Ravens are really strong up the middle against the pass. And in many of these preview podcasts that I heard you do that I participated in this summer, our biggest area of concern were defensively were corner and pass rusher. And the Ravens have, you know, guys that they signed literally mid season that are performing phenomenally and you know i i like to think that some of the credit goes to you know those floor raisers that they have up the middle and roquan and hamilton and the play of the secondary or really the you know the cover two shell that you like to talk about that discourages um quarterbacks from throwing deep uh the other point i wanted to make in 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 going down this this path is you know my recollection of the lamar era and our defenses that we have fielded since 2018 or rather 2019, his MVP season, you know, a lot of the struggles that we've had have been in that middle, middle of the field in the, the coverage area between level two and level three. Um, is there a name associated with that? <laughs> <laughs> there is, but in yeah. 2019, that was, that was peanut and uh, yeah. you know, and, and, and that, that was pre queen, but whenever we've made moves in season, to shore up that middle linebacker play that allows that coverage area to, uh, you know, be better handled. Our defensives has performed pretty well. And so I think it's interesting that, that this season is the season that we are most prepared to handle that area. And, you know, overall the defense has been incredible. Now I will say as far as the yards per, per, per pass, I do think it's fair to acknowledge that in this era of the modern NFL game, there's a lot more short passing. And so, you know, perhaps it's, it would be, reasonable to think that the passes could go for fewer but again like this is still a phenomenal achievement what the defense is doing if you're talking about it being an extension of the run game i'd be fine with that but still 4.18 yards per extended run is not too bad either in terms of that absolutely absolutely i I do have to make the point that if anyone out, out there is hearing brad's argument i don't think he really means what you want him to mean in terms of you can't win with this defense in the playoffs kind of thing um The the Ravens can, in fact, win with defense in the playoffs. They have a very different defense than anybody who's played in the last 40 years in terms of of doing it. I'm not saying they will necessarily, but this modern game is particularly suited to their defense, and that's why they're doing so well 
exactly this year in terms of of uh, you know standing out for the rest of the National Football League and having one of the best defensive devoas um, in in recent years. So it's a it's actually they're not they're not at the top of defensive devoa. They're top of overall devoa. Yeah. They are at the top of overall Devoa, and but defensively they are a tenth or two tenths of a point behind the Browns, who are number one. So they mm-hmm. are pretty high up there. To to the point, what what I what I did want to communicate is I think there is a lot of hand wringing uh, in you know the fandom uh, that they maybe the Ravens haven't invested in a premium pass rusher. Or, you know, Humphrey is slowing down on the outside and we need, you know, a tier one shutdown corner. And while those positions are premium and there's a reason for that, um, there's a lot you can do with a sauce gardener on the outside. There are also other ways that you can invest if you, you know, if you have the right scheme and coaching to make it happen. And the Ravens are really getting it done that way. How much of a value unlocker is that? I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. You know, again, the Ravens can zig when everybody else is zagging. And during the Roman years, people didn't like the the, the offense, but damn well, it was cheap as hell and unbelievably productive. So get over it. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's the way the Ravens harvested value off of their different coaching schemes. Now they've got this, basically a cover two shell that very much reduces the responsibilities of the cornerbacks on the team in terms of coverage. And, and it's paid tremendous dividends in getting value out of Darby and, and Stevens when their $20 million cornerback has not been available for a lot of the year. That is absolutely, absolutely what I, you know, exactly what I was thinking. I, I go back to the, the heyday of some of the Patriots teams that when they invested in Gronk and Hernandez and they ran predominantly two tight end offenses, or uh, they often, you know, through a stretch had a Wes Welker, Julian Edelman type receiver that was so productive, but not your ex star receiver that you have to pay $25 million a year to. And if you can scheme around, again, uh, uh, have a very cohesive plan around those non-premium positions, you can still be incredibly successful. It just takes creativity. And so, you know, the Ravens are really getting it done this year. And just the numbers across the front in the pass rush, how many sacks, uh, Matabika already has 10 sacks. Clowney is, I think, seven or eight. Um, they're leading the league in sacks. Like who would have thought this team would have led the league in sacks, but just doesn't that, make any sense at all. <laughs> that that cohesiveness is just phenomenal to see. All right, let's move on. We'll go to weaknesses now. Uh, start us off. What's your big weakness for this team? So there were a number of options here, but the one that's really sticking out to me like a sore thumb is special teams. This is special teams and um, just overall special teams play has really been a hallmark of the Harbaugh era Ravens. They mm-hmm. typically are top five in the league in DVOA and special teams when they have good teams. And this year, they're below middle of the pack. Currently, their DVOA is ranked 19th. And it's really not one area specifically that seems to be giving them trouble. It's across the board. And maybe the most confounding is that you know I'm, I'm, I'm not as confident about Tucker as I used to be. Mm-hmm. It's and a, it's- yeah, it's definitely a, a significant concern when Tucker starts to miss field goals under 50 yards. It's just weird to us. Um, I wasn't particularly concerned early in the year because he'd had so many long attempts. 
When he misses from under 55, that's when I start to get worried. And even if they're blocked from under 55 and he's and he's getting his trajectory, he's trying to um, keep the ball low to get the best distance he can. I'm concerned about that. But I also see that they've had some problems in the A-gap in trying to defend there and, and people have been slipping through. Um, I, I guess, you know, in terms of how this thing is actionable and, you know, we, we would hope that these things could be corrected the rest of the season – my biggest hope for the Ravens is that they a- employ a um, no risk or or a, a absolute minimal risk, absolute minimal variance approach to kickoffs at least for the rest of the year. Which means basically uh, that I want to see them fair catch every ball that that they have a chance to do inside the twenty five, and basically force the ball into the end zone so that the balls aren't returned more than a couple of times the rest of the season because there's. It, I don't think it behooves a team that has a great defense and is generally better than their their opponent at each on each side of the ball to take risk in terms of starting field position. I just don't I don't think it's worth it, um, even if there's some small marginal gain to be had. Um, and in terms of the kicks, I guess the thing I'm most upset about was that they that they kicked instead of going for it on fourth down in this last game uh, when when Tucker did miss the field goal. It's just that was an outstanding opportunity to put the game away with a first down. Um, and I didn't think the change from three to six points was good enough because of the opposing factor that Herbert was then guaranteed four down football for the length of the football field. I really did not like that. Yeah. And I, I think Harbaugh's explanation this week was that his, you know, the kick, they were really rushed. Um, and, and Tucker didn't have the same prep time that he had for a normal kick and he rushed it and he pulled it. And, but that's but, why he missed the kick. Why, why did they try the kick? <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that, that actually gets into, I, I don't want to have a second, um, area of weakness, but it gets into a little bit, uh, one of the other things we were talking about in the pre-production is some of the decision-making on the coaching side has not been as consistent as what we've come to expect, expect, um, with the analytically minded go for it on fourth down front office approach that they've had the last handful of years. It seems that to your point in that scenario, they would have been better served to go for it on fourth down. Um, but it doesn't seem that they, um, are consistently making the same kinds of go, don't go decisions game in and game out. And so I, I don't know if that leads to, I mean, I'm just speculating that perhaps that um, creates a little bit of uncertainty in whether we're going to kick or go for it. That could lead to, uh, I mean, who knows? It it is some curious decision making. I will I will simply say that um, don't understand. I think I, it's too deep a rabbit hole for us to go down on the show, but it may be an interesting other short to try and figure out that is or to discuss it anyway it would be, uh, uh, you know, it, does the does the fact that they're sometimes going on fourth and one, but not always going on fourth and one, does that you know put the kicking game in a little bit more difficulty? I personally, I I, I think that's kind of a stretch, but the but the uh, uh, the decision to not go on fourth and one there, I really really did not like. I just thought, I I really think you have to be very careful always about not putting the opposing quarterback into a hundred yard four down football situation. You, you want them to force to force them to play three down football for half the field. And, you know, it worked out. They stopped them on fourth and six. They, they, they got the, got off the field on four downs. Um, but it just didn't, it, it, to me, wouldn't be the way I'd have approached the problem. 
Yeah, that and that makes total sense. I, I guess the one the one caveat I will say is in regards to them not going for it now this year as much as they have in the past. The defense has been just really consistently suffocating. Mm-hmm. So, and they are leading these games. So maybe they think it's not worth the risk some of the time. But anyway, I'll, I'll give you another uh, another alternative. Is is the the better team should take less fourth down risk. They should take. They should just have fewer times where they're willing to heap the results of a game into a single play as opposed to uh, winning over many plays. Anyway, people have heard me say that so many times they probably know it by heart by now. Um, I'll, I'll go with my weakness next, which is um, the inability to get Jackson ample time and space has been really bothersome. And a lot of the things that we might talk about in terms of fixing the pass game, replacing Mark Andrews, blah, 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 blah. They're predicated on getting better ample time and space for Jackson. Uh, this last week, Jackson didn't didn't have a great ample time and space game. I think it was about six six 6.9 or 7 yards per throw when he had it. But he only got it six times out of 34. And that's not enough. So, you know, if, if they have to figure out some way. They have to build their offense around getting Jackson more time and space in the pocket or potentially get him on the move again and, you know, really allow him to, to roam free and, and make more natural extended plays, more rolling pockets to the right where they can generally provide a little bit more time for him. Yeah. I, I, um, in, in prepping for this, I rewatched some of the, you know, some of the games this year and, you know, it really struck me the, the games where the offense has really looked, um, you know, top notch, like the Detroit game, um, the hallmark of, of that offensive performance was how much time he was getting consistently in the pocket. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, uh, something about, about your comment that is curious to me is there have been games where he's been consistently under pressure, where he has far exceeded expectation. Yep. And then there are games like this past one where um, you know the offense really struggles. And I, I am not smart enough to know why Sometimes they he handles pressure very well, and sometimes he doesn't. I am sure that there are smarter folks out there listening that are uh, can can schedule a short to discuss that. But yeah, I mean, getting him better protection so these routes can develop when when he's had that time, it's it's looked really good. It's been really exciting to see some of these some of these receivers really blossom, especially Flowers. Yeah, there's definitely there's pressure and there's pressure. And what the Ravens do, where it's pressure one, pressure two, pressure three, coming you know sequentially, is very difficult for a quarterback. If in in some of the case with the Lions, where they have a four man rush, it's usually the four you know, and one guy gets through. That can that can create a pressure that forces Lamar to move in the pocket. It's a pressure event at that point. It's no longer ample time and space, and he can still make a good play down the field as as long as he doesn't get a subsequent pressure and avoids the first one. So I think there's maybe there is some of that, but hey, that twenty two point four yards under pressure in that Lions game was was really something remarkable. Yeah, and a big you know what something that was big about that was that the Gus Edwards eighty yard play where yeah he gets pressured immediately, turns, flips it out, and Gus is off to the races. Yeah, that, that that was remarkable. That was a big part of it. You're right. Okay, how about opportunities going forward? So 
what what I'm particularly excited about is an, a potential improvement in the passing game to see uh you know this offensive change for them was a big a big change a whole new offensive scheme that they've brought in well not entirely new offensive scheme i mean they've kept some of the old concepts but um you know the idea of bringing munkin in to revamp the pass game i think you know i was hopeful that week one would come out and they'd throw for 350 yards and we'd be off the races but that's not a realistic expectation um you know they've they've had some good games they've had some bad games We've gotten to this by. They're in a good spot. The offense overall um, is the fourth-ranked offense by Devoa. Their rushing offense, surprisingly, is the third-best all-time, well, at least since 1980, mm-hmm. by Devoa, which is pretty surprising. And so I think there's a lot of optimism offensively, and I'm really curious to see from the passing side what that looks like coming out of the bye if they'll have an opportunity to self-scout. And you know, there's been a lot of things that have been really exciting to see. Um, both Bateman and OBJ are starting to look more and more physically like their old selves and play with a bit more explosion than at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Flowers is just um, consistently when he gets the ball in space, like he's electric. And, um, you know, many of the best offenses across the league really force feed the ball to a couple of guys. And, Baltimore outside of Andrews hasn't really had a person to do that. I would love to see the potential of them doing that with flowers uh, coming out of the break potentially. Um, But, you know, I I guess looking at the numbers, they have really given him a lot of targets, but yeah, yeah, but he's, he's produced and it's been really exciting to see. And so um, I thought likely when he got the ball uh, on the, in the game on Sunday against the Chargers, he looked really good running after the catch. So I'm really hopeful coming out of the break that they will have, um, or my, I have a hope for optimism that they will uh, have some good schemes that they've been able to self-scout and bring about to really put the ball in these guys' hands and, 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 you know, really gel. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm all for it. I, I will say, so much of our culture now is driven by two things, fantasy football and gambling as they relate to football. And both of them have this heavy yardage bent that just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't correlate very well with winning at all. And in fact, you know, I can, I can, I can tell you, and fantasy football players certainly know this. They want wide receivers on bad teams who are going to be trailing most of the time. Their offense is going to have to pay fast pace. They're going to have to be trying to come from behind. They're going to, you know, be throwing most of the game. Well, the Ravens only pass about half the time. And they do that because they have the luxury to do it because they always have the lead. They basically have hardly trailed the entire season and they've led every game going into the fourth quarter, even though they've, you know, obviously they've lost three. But it's it's a uh, uh, it's not something that's going to go away if this team is good. If this team is good, they'll be good because they hold the lead and they're not going to they're not going to pass much. And I think you know it's a it's a it's a nature of the defense that the Ravens have that you're never going to be satisfied with the offensive totals, particularly yardage wise, but also target wise for 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 guys you you really are betting on in terms of receivers for this team. So if you had the 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 yardage over on Eldo, Odell Beckham. Uh, according to Ra- the Ravens fans' yardage over, which was probably what eight hundred or something. Sure, you know, it, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't five eighty like like uh, like it was on a lot of betting lines. Uh, then you probably lost. 
and uh, yeah. and that's uh, how it goes. And it's not just not just that one; it's all the other ones too. You probably came up on short on, with the, maybe yeah. the exception of flowers. Yeah, let me let me refine my potential upside going forward to say that it's not it's not so much about the uh, the the raw numbers on the passing offense, but about cleaning up some of the sloppiness. Lamar has had a, had more than his share of fumbles, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then the missed deep shots, you know, we can clean up a handful of those things and Lamar continues to get comfortable in the offense, self-scouting coming out of the bye. I mean, a highly efficient passing game is 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 really what we want. Um, and, you know, they've they've shown that at times this year. And it'd be great to to see that even blossom. I think, you know, Lamar fed into the narrative this spring when he said he thinks he'll he would love to throw for six thousand yards. Uh, so <laughs> That was never happening. No, it was it was never happening. That's that's okay. And by the way, I wasn't pegging you as as being with the gamblers and the fantasy football players. But there's there's you know there's a group who has just consistently unrealistic yardage expectations, and there is literally there is no offensive coordinator the Ravens would ever bring in that would work with Lamar Jackson and and ignore such a huge component of the value he brings in up you know, improving everyone else around him in the run game that you would ever see those kind of yardage totals uh, uh, come through. And if they did, you wouldn't want to be there around for that season because it's going to be a season where the defense falls apart. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so anyway, I, I'll go to my uh, opportunity uh, guy, and I think it's it's a player they haven't really tapped fully, but they, they are on the way to doing so, and that's Keaton Mitchell. Um, I, I want to see him. I think you know, in the absence of of the of Mark Andrews and the and the mind meld that goes there, um, Mitchell had the really big extended play in this last game with that eleven yard throw that converted a uh, converted a might have been a third down, might have been a second down, but anyway, it was it was a nice conversion um, in plus territory. I I, I want to see him get more opportunities, both running the ball and passing the ball. I think they've they've already changed, flipped the snaps. So he's getting more now than Edwards and Hill. Um, doesn't mean you forget about those guys. It doesn't mean you don't give a change of pace. But Mitchell is the guy who brings the most juice here. Uh, he's also uh, the most important guy to step forward, perhaps. Maybe maybe Stevens would be in the same category, but Mitchell, because of 2024 and what he means for the next three years in terms of some savings, enormously important player. Stevens... I think they might be trying to sign him after this year based on on what a marvelous surprise he's been. Yeah, I'm concerned that he might be pricing himself out of re-signing, but if they can come up with that divisible benefit, Stevens, that is, yep. that divisible benefit contract, I think it it makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, this is more of an anecdotal thing, but um, seeing his success this year also gives me hope for some of the fourth rounders they took last year. Um, that haven't really shown much over the first one and a half seasons that maybe, you know, maybe we can expect some, uh, maybe Stevens is the outlier that proves the rule, but it's just been tremendous to see him. So back to Kohler, Falele, some of those guys. Yeah. J.A.D., Pepe, you know, I mean, there's a a number of those guys that Falele would be like the the, the huge one. If, if that would come through, that that, that comes through, but getting back to Mitchell, I, um, it's, it's really, I, I think we, we, we really need to savor what we have with him. Like it's, it's, 
we in the offseason, one of the things I love is, is is reading about the undrafted rookies and the unheralded fringe guys that might make a difference. And rarely do they ever do they ever are they ever more than a core special teams player. And Mitchell has come in and the explosiveness that he has, I think he's averaging what 9.3 yards a carry through uh, his first game was the Detroit game. So five, five games. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable what they found in him. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. The more that they can tap into this down the stretch, I, I just think, there's so much potential there. It's it's tremendous. They haven't had a guy like this in Baltimore since Ray Rice. Rice that that the, the first year that they had Forsett, there the, the he had this. I just I just remember he had this burst that got him through creases right before they closed that I just found remarkable. And then they signed him long term, and he he just lost that. And you know, but but yeah, I mean, this is like Devon Achan light. Um, what what he showed in Miami in those first handful of games, and uh, this is what they found in Mitchell, they, a guy that runs a sub four four that they got uh, undrafted that is breaking tackles, like with that uh, to me is the big thing. Yeah, the the missed tackles forced at the level they are right now are absurd. He is running through contact like nobody. The the um, he has some absurd amount of yards after contact relative to his total yards. So it was like, I think it was 50 out of 64 this last week, or it might've been even higher than that. But in, in for the, for the season, it's a very high percentage too. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that um, is 13, I think missed tackles forced in something like nine or nine, 29 carries much higher percentage than anybody else in the league. So yeah. uh, it won't hold up. We know that, but still, you, you, you want to see what you have in terms of a power and speed back. Um, they, they don't come along very often. I mean, they, they are that is a very rare breed. Jamal Lewis is in that group as being a power and speed guy. I think Mitchell's got more elusiveness. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it, he, he probably, I, I, I'll, I'll even say he definitely does not have as much uh, power as Jamal brought to the table, but uh, but he's breaking more tackles right now. Yeah. And I think the other, the other, big reason for optimism is I, I, I think that the team obviously recognizes this, the fact that he's already getting more snaps than the other mm-hmm. guys. I mean, we have bemoaned for a handful of years that they won't put their young, their young backs that have some juice in their legs on the field in favor of some of these, Great point. you know, elderly backs that they've signed off the scrap heap. But, but the fact that they are trusting him in these scenarios and, and to be fair, like I think Hill has looked good. Uh, at times when he's gotten the ball, but he's also been on the field for a lot of the failed exchanges that Lamar has had that yeah. lead to fumbles. And so, you know, the coaching staff is recognizing they're already putting Mitchell in the game to take those snaps. And I think that, yeah, go ahead. Hill is also their passing downs guy and they have him in there and and he's done, he's done okay as a blocker. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that, but the, but the thing he hasn't done is anything as a receiver. He's still making basically zero contribution. And the funny thing is, every single other Ravens running back is killing it as a receiver, including yeah. the older guys they had earlier in the year. Um, and and their their average, I believe, the average of the all the other backs put together is over nine yards per target uh, for the year, which is just you know that's something a wide receiver would love to have. Um, but uh, for a running back, it's just out of this world. So yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Talk about uh, risk. So sorry. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, threat is what it is. Threat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
So I, I, I think the area of threat is some one that's near and dear to your heart. It's just Ronnie Stanley. I think he poses the, in my opinion, the biggest potential area of weakness that um, the team has. Um, you've you've talked at length about how we don't know what he's going through physically. And it's pretty remarkable that he's out there at all fighting through the injuries that he has had. Um, and, you know, we don't know the pain that he's going through, but, you know, we really don't have anyone else. I think, um, I think you mentioned on the offensive review podcast this past week that um, McCary has actually graded out better as a tackle this year than Stanley has, which, you know, I mean, McCary, God bless him. We are grateful for the versatility that he provides and that he is there. But, you know, we're hoping for a little bit more. And the weakness that you articulated with the ample time and space, a lot of that is directly related to Stanley's inability to hold up on the left edge. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, uh, Zeitler wasn't playing too well and has really worked himself into shape. And I would love for Stanley to have the same opportunity as Zeitler had. I mean, he unfortunately got got his knee rolled up in that first game, um, battled back, was out on the field. Then he got banged up again in the Cleveland game. And so he's really not had that series of of games where he can really work into, into game shape. And we boy, do we need that down the stretch. But my concern is that there's a lot more risk associated with um, you know, him being able to sustain than there is upside. Yeah, I, I agree. And mine is very tightly connected. So I, I'll, I'll just jump right into it is that the Ravens cannot afford to lose this magnificent chance for a deep playoff run right now. And and that's true regardless of where they have to play. If they have to play on the road, it, it could be fine. If they have to play at home, it could be, could be wonderful for us fans to get to go to the game. But, but if, even if they have to go to Kansas city, even if they end up getting a three or four seed and they have to end up going to Jacksonville or some other place that, that they, they obviously prefer not to in the, I guess it would be the the, the second game probably um, even if they fail to win the division. I mean, this is a team that, that has the you know deep playoff run written all over them, but the thing that would derail it instantly is an injury to Jackson. And we've already seen that happen with Watson and Burrow in the division. Uh, we've seen it happen with the Jets and Aaron Rodgers if if they were really going to go anywhere anyway. But but the but you know that's a that's a team that certainly had hopes in terms of uh, of uh, being there. And uh, you know he's he could be hurt in in two ways. The primary way that he'll that he's likely to get hurt is on a quarterback hit, where he's throwing in one direction and he's hit in another direction, and that gets him very hard. Jackson is extremely good at taking a sack. Um, and not getting hurt. Uh, he's also been at a little bit of trouble when he's uh, running downfield, trying to get a little bit more out of the run than 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 we'd otherwise like. They're definitely taking some hits in in his career like that. This is if you were going to make changes for the rest of the year, there are two things that I think might be actionable. Number one is that they would really hope that that Pittsburgh game is meaningless and get him out of there and and certainly not play him, even if there's seating on the line. In week 18. In fact, I might even say, don't play for the number one seed at home. I probably won't when the time comes. Um, if if they've guaranteed the two seed and, and they've got an off chance to 
um, get the one seed based on the need for a Kansas City loss and them winning themselves, I'd probably say don't play Jackson. You know, just just sit him out and 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 try and get through without him. And if it works out great, if it doesn't, take the two seed and be happy. Um, if the other thing that um, uh, you know, I'd like to, I think they could try, is going back to making Jackson the outside threat and running some plays out of pistol. And it's it's a little bit different, a, a different way to look at the thing. Um, you can also run under center. You can do some other things that'll make Jackson an outside threat primarily, but let him run to the sideline more like he did in his MVP season and take more of his runs out of bounds instead of making them probably a much more dangerous threat running right up the middle because the Ravens offense is certainly structured to make the defense run themselves out of place. And in particular, that at the, at the safety and inside linebacker positions, get over commitment and missteps there. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think our our two concerns go hand in hand because, to your point, the primary way that we, you know, we the, my primary concern for Jackson's health is is really getting hit in the pocket, and that's where the weakness at tackle really shows up and down the stretch, the Ravens are going to face some ferocious pass rushes. Mm-hmm. Um, got Aaron Donald coming to town. The guys in Jacksonville are no, no pushovers, San Francisco. I just get terrified thinking about uh, having to face Nick Bosa. Um, and then Pittsburgh in week 18, TJ Watts killer. You know, I, um, yeah, I wish every year I, I, I'm just reminded so much of the, of our team's ability to to have success in the season and into the playoffs is is injury related and it's it really is it sucks but it's it's the nature of the game and um we love the physicality but got to keep Lamar healthy. Yeah. So I, I, whatever they have to do scheme wise even if it means reducing the efficiency of the offense I'm all for it in terms of uh keeping Lamar healthy. Um, if, yeah, if that I means- would like to think. I would like to think that the, the Lamar Lamar's rushing could be, um, you know, something that we save for the playoffs. Similar to, you know, in in the NBA, like really going hard at the rim and just trying to just draw fouls. You mm-hmm. know, maybe it's not what you do during the regular season, but in the playoffs, like that's something you keep in your back pocket. And you know, let's rely on Gus and Keaton and and those guys to carry the load down the stretch, All get right. in the playoffs. Yeah. Outstanding show, Brad. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this with us. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Sure. I'm on Twitter or X as they call it these days. Uh, MC Bradley. Look, Bradley. There you go. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a short, just like Brad, and you are passionate about the topic, just like Brad, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to hear from you. And this is a great week to to create content. Uh, have a fair number of these scheduled and would like to have more. Uh, so hit me up. I'll get back to you very quickly. Brad, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done.